Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you had a wonderful weekend and hope you are casting all of your anxieties and burdens and cares over on the sovereign God of the universe who sustains us by his powerful word. Lord, thank you for this time to talk about things that are so important in our country, our culture, in the world from a biblical perspective. And please give us insight today. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to have your heart as we look at the world, as we look at people who hate you, as we look at the church, many of whom have fallen away or been deceived, even by politics, Lord, who have fallen into idolatry. Lord, help us, God, to speak the truth always in love, but boldly and to never compromise. And Father, we seek to glorify you and we proudly take after the apostles who said we must obey God rather than man. Help us to be so strong in our faith because we have the assurance and hope of eternal life. And we, we know that that can never be taken from us. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty, for your faithfulness, for your provision. And we ask your protection on this country and on people in cities, uh, depending on the results of the elections, Lord, and the threats that are coming out about rioting and violence, Lord, we ask that you would intervene in the name of Jesus and give us wisdom, Lord, on how to respond. We love you, and we lift up this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're so blessed. A lot to talk about today. So many different topics, as you know, big election tomorrow. But we welcome back Gary Ka, Hope for the World. Gary, thank you for your time today. Hi, David. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, you've been on a, a, a quite a busy schedule. But did you say seven cities in eight days or something like that you've been speaking? Yeah, I, I just got back a few days ago. We did a, a, a seven-city, four-state uh, tour in eight days and a couple of talk shows in there and some other meetings, too. And and uh, it was it was grueling, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we covered 2,800 miles altogether. Uh, it does make me appreciate uh, President Trump's uh, pace. Yes. Uh, of course, he has the advantage of flying around in Air Force One. But <laughs> we, we drove the whole thing. But I'm telling you, it, it's, uh, it can be grueling. But it was good, a very productive uh, trip and time. Met okay. a lot of wonderful people. Awesome. I'd love to hear more about it if you want to share what you spoke on and how Christians are. Uh, I'm sure people come up to you with feedback or questions before or after you speak with the election coming up. What what are you hearing out there as as people came up to you and you were um, out there in churches and speaking to brothers and sisters? Yeah, the the interest level was was very high. We we were in in Kansas, uh, South Dakota, um, Wisconsin, uh, over toward La Crosse, and then also down in Brookfield on mm-hmm. on the last night. And uh, in fact, when I spoke in Brookfield, uh, suburb of Milwaukee. Uh, that was actually taped, and we just posted it on our website, so people can actually go to GaryCaw.org and view the whole thing. Uh, it's about an hour and twenty minute uh, presentation, um, and part of it does deal with the election. And um, I'll be touching on some of that uh, here, I'm sure, on our program today. Um, 
but the, the, the interest level is very high. People um, in Christian circles, for the most part, understand what is at stake. Um, what is very concerning and almost unbelievable, I guess, is that things have gotten to this point where we have right now on the one ticket a vice presidential candidate who has the most far-left voting record in the U.S. Senate, actually to the left of Bernie Sanders, who's a communist. Uh, I mean, let that sink in. Mm -hmm. Um, Kamala Harris, and of course, you know, Joe Biden is really struggling. A lot of people think if if elected, he won't make it through four years. I'm one of those people. I, I don't know how he would make it through four years. So Kamala Harris quite possibly would become president. And um, she is more in line with communism than free enterprise. And that's just a fact if you look at her voting record. So we are just one small step away from potentially having a communist, at least a far, far left socialist uh, president of the United States. Um, On the other hand, you've got the the Trump-Pence ticket, uh, Trump being very far from perfect. We all know that. And he says some ridiculous things sometimes. But I don't think anybody questions the fact that he really loves this country and is very pro-free enterprise, pro-freedom uh, uh, of speech, uh, freedom of worship, and, and so forth. So we are witnessing unfolding before us really the clash of two almost polar opposite worldviews. Yes. And people are being given a choice. And... Um, but 43% of Americans, according to a poll I saw fairly recently, lean socialist. And that crept up on us. Um, I mean, that, that has been growing for years. And researchers like you and I, we've been aware of this, but the general populace really didn't understand how far socialism had come until Donald Trump became president. And mm-hmm. at that point, um, Everything going on behind the scenes, it's as if it was drawn to the surface because the socialists hate Trump so much that they couldn't keep quiet. And so I personally believe one reason why God allowed Trump to get in and become president in the first place was a wake up, as a wake-up call to the American people, especially the church, to show us how far socialism and anti-Christian sentiment had really come in this country. And so now we're without excuse. We, we, we see where it's at and that we're just a whisker away from becoming a socialist uh, nation. And so there is a lot at stake in this election. Um, but having said that, um, I believe we need to understand as believers that only God can bail us out of this situation right now. We have to do our part voting and voting for the best candidates that would support Christian values and, and all of that. But the hour is so late that unless we're on our knees crying out to God and asking for God to intervene and deliver us, um, you know, things could soon be over as far as our freedoms go. So we need to do our part, but we also need to acknowledge God's role in all this and humble ourselves before him and, and cry out to him in repentance. And I think anything less than that, uh, won't work. God hears us when we pray from a repentant heart. And, you know, so much of Christianity in America has become 
like the world, really very little difference in, in many circles. So yes. over 70% of Americans still say they're Christians, but we sure don't act like it. And so if we want God to intervene on our behalf, there's got to be a, a, a change big Amen. time. Amen, brother. Um, now, you shared a talk. Um, it was called A Nation at War, The Globalist Conditioning of America. Before we talk about some specifics and talk about some cities and some other things, COVID-19, people have a lot of questions about that and how much that will play into how people vote, which I don't know. There's just I, my head spins when I think about that question. But you look at things from a global perspective, unlike a lot of believers. And what are you sensing from on the world stage from that perspective of what I mean, would a Biden administration benefit China and Russia? That's what we're hearing. But the media would have it spun to say that, no, Trump is colluding with Russia. And, what, you know, so could you give us some insight on maybe what you're hearing from the world perspective on a global view? Yeah, the whole China-Russia thing, it, it, the narrative being driven by the mass media is just, it, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, what we first of all, with COVID, uh, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, we, we have some very, very close friends who live in Italy. And Italy was on complete lockdown for like four months. I mean, our friends, they could only go to the grocery store, and they only allowed like maybe 20 people in a store at a time. And other than that, they were locked up in their house for, I mean, the whole spring. And finally, little by little, uh, they allowed people out again, uh, but not with a lot of freedom. And now, what? Uh, Italy's got it really bad again, and so does France and Germany, a lot worse than here. So a point I want to make is these countries that had the extreme lockdowns, I mean extreme lockdowns, they have COVID much worse than we do now and a much higher death rate. Nobody in the media is pointing this out because if they did, it would actually favor Trump. Trump (laughs) did what he could to keep things open, uh, be, be as careful as we can be on COVID, but don't tank the entire economy. And the other thing is if people aren't out there moving about, um, herd immunity can't really develop, and this thing will just drag on and on and on. And a few months ago, about 150 Israeli doctors came out and said this very thing. They were getting on, on the government of Israel saying, look, you're going about this the wrong way. If you shut everything down, you're just setting us up for a bigger second wave down the road. And this is what Europe is experiencing right now. And um, so, you know, all the talk about Biden, he'd shut everything down, which he probably would. Uh, It would tank the economy, and this thing would just keep dragging on, because the Europeans have already done that, and it hasn't worked. Um, On the other hand, Sweden, their approach was uh, they isolated the most vulnerable part of the population, uh, the elderly people with pre-existing conditions, but uh, regarding the rest of their population, they pretty much let things play out. And they ended up right in the middle of the pack. Uh, they didn't do as well as some countries, but they did a lot better than other countries, even though they did very little to you know, uh, uh, combat COVID. And so, so much of this narrative is being driven by the international media because they wanted to use COVID, and still do, mm-hmm. to shut down the global economy. And their biggest challenge is to shut down the U.S. economy because it was red hot. You know, trying to take an economy that had three and a half percent unemployment and shut it down, that's a challenge. Um, 
And the reason they want to do this is they want to have a reset. They want to introduce a new global cashless currency system based on an electronic monetary unit and literally bring us into a new world economic order. And this has been ready to go for about 18 to 20 months, I'd say, uh, since the uh, fall, summer, actually more than that now, almost two years that it's been ready to go. But in order to introduce such a new drastic economic system, uh, something first has to happen to our current economy because if everything's going well, there's no reason for people to embrace something new that's drastic. Mm -hmm. And so they have to shut down the economy and then use the shutdown as an excuse for why they have to do something different, bring in this new global economy. So it's, it's, it's about much more than, than COVID, but it's about how to use COVID uh, to accomplish their, their ends. And unless people understand that, they're not going to see through the magnitude of, of this deception. Um, you said something it, huge it, right there, Gary. You said unless people understand that because of the mainstream media today we've got a very uninformed electorate how does that play into all this well you've got people basically either voting along covid lines which if they think that that biden is going to shut everything down and that's going to solve the covid problem they're going to vote for the biden harris ticket but if people understand that there is a bigger push behind all of this to take away our freedoms and drive us into a world government and a new global economic order, then they're going to appreciate uh, Trump's efforts to keep us free and not to shut everything down. So it's that whole perspective that's going to decide more than anything else how people are going to vote. And, uh, of course, if, if all you do is watch MSNBC and, and 90, 92% of the media, actually, that is far left, uh, it's go going to drive you toward the Biden-Harris ticket. And that's a lot to overcome because the media is now completely in the back pocket of the far-left socialists. And, and so except for some uh, uh, smaller networks and, and, and Fox News and um, uh, some of the social media sites, uh, everything else we have to rely on word of mouth and, and people like me traveling around and speaking places to try to wake people up because you're just not going to get the bulk of this through the mass media. Even, even Fox has had to hold back on some things, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I, I wrote something here. I've got it in front of me, um, and I share this in my presentation uh, during our, our seven-city tour. Um, I wrote this in the fall, our fall issue of 2018. So hmm. this was a little over two years ago. So I'm quoting myself here. I said, Keep your eyes on California Senator Kamala Harris. She is a rising star within the Democratic Party and is rapidly gaining popularity among millennials. Hmm. She is attractive, intelligent, well-spoken, and extremely liberal. Some political insiders believe she has her eyes set on the White House. Harris has led Trump in some recent unofficial polls. In order to become her party's nominee, however, she would have to first overcome some of the older establishment liberals, such as Joe Biden, end quote. Wow, prophetic. <laughs> well, she's, you know, she's almost there because now she, she blew the debates a, a couple times. She did well early on and then, and then blew it and she sank in the polls. But the far left establishment still figured out a way to manage to get her on the ticket. And so with someone like Biden, who is really struggling 
and who I don't believe would make it through four years, there's at least a 50-50 chance that Harris would be our president if, mm-hmm. if that ticket is elected. And um, and like I already mentioned at the top of the program, I mean, she's if she's not a communist, she's right there. Uh, she she's to the left of Bernie Sanders, and and that's you can document that if you if you do an analysis of her voting record in the Senate. She is the number one most liberal senator, and that's what baffles me. I guess is uh, that's just a, a complete lack of common sense, even among the the Democratic strategists. You yes. know, you'd think they pick at least somebody a, a bit more toward the center that you'd think um, would be more electable, or that might draw in some, you know, some Republicans. But they pick the most far left candidate they they can come up with. And they believe the American people are gullible enough that they'll vote for this ticket. And they may be right. I mean, you know, it's going to be nip and tuck. It's going to be a very, very close race. And I guess that tells us more about where the American mindset is right now than anything else. The fact that so many Americans would be willing to vote, uh, you know, for someone who is that far left. And God help us if they get in, because uh, Harris, um, her background, her voting record, um, it stands opposite to Christianity on on every single front. Absolutely, I mean, we basically have nothing in common. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I hope more people understand that, especially those we're kind of preaching to the choir to a large extent here to the audience at Stand Up for the Truth. But I wrote an article a month ago called "Redefining Radical," and how Kamala Harris is completely the antithesis of what the Christian teachings support and what the Bible instructs, but I hope people are really backing away from the noise and the talking points in the media and looking at policy, platforms, procedure. Those are the three big P's, right? Policy, platform, procedure. I'm holding in my hand. We only have two minutes before I have to take a break, Gary. The Trump administration accomplishments on only on th- in three areas, life, family, and religious freedom. Family Research Council put this out. And these it's small print, and these bullet points, there's probably close to 200, 200 accomplishments. And it goes by date. It goes January through 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, this is very tiny, and these are accomplishments in just these areas by the Trump administration. Life, family, and religious freedom. It's just astounding to me that some Christians don't know a fraction of this, and yet they go, yeah, but Trump— his tweets and he cusses every now and then, you know, what are your thoughts on that, Gary, when Christians respond that way? Well, I think it's it's naivety as much as anything. Um, we need to understand that policies are what affect us as a nation because they become law eventually. And, and uh, Supreme Court justice appointments, uh, federal judges, uh, Trump will have appointed, I think, close to 300 by the end of, of this term, most of them conservative, I, I, and I'd say majority of them Christian, which personally, I never would have expected that of Trump 10 years ago, I have to be honest. Um, but God works in mysterious ways. I mean, uh, you know, he has basically come in and has been working to undo the new world order, which th- that's why he's so hated. So he's he's not just opposing them or speaking out against it, but he's act actively been unraveling some of the pieces that they have put in place. And so that's why Chuck Schumer and, and you know, all the others in, in, in Congress are at wit's end. And uh, so we, we really need to pray that there is not an assassination attempt on Trump. If, if he does pull out this election, 
they'll be furious. I mean, yep. and um, Trump, you know, he, he is an odd bird. Let's let's admit it. I mean, he is one, one of a kind. There's never been any other candidate like him. Uh, but God bless him for the fact that he has upheld our freedom of speech, our free enterprise system, and is trying to keep us a free nation. And I think that alone speaks volumes, and, and people need to consider that when they head to the polls. Yes, and he's we got to take a break. He's draining the swamp, and few of us had any idea how deep and thick that swamp in Washington, D.C. is and was, and he's not a politician. We thank God for that. We're going to talk when we come back about the threats about violence and rioting if Trump should win the election. I'm going to quote Kamala Harris and ask what's going on out there. And more with Gary Kaw when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're with Gary Kaw. Hope for the world. And we are talking about what's going on in our country based on the big election coming up tomorrow. And I voted a week ago. A lot of us voted early in person. And that's what we encourage uh, you guys to do. I know Republicans typically uh, show up big time on Election Day. Uh, Democrats, from what I've heard, there's speculation that more Democrats will actually vote early or absentee ballot or uh, so I don't know about all that. But anyway, uh, lots of headlines out there about planned, organized rioting and violence. Some say either way depends on uh, the election, but some say if Trump is elected. But my question is, what happened to law and order? Why won't Biden, Harris, Pelosi, Schumer, AOC, etc., renounce these threats and tell their voters to stand down? Gary Kai, I want to ask you, uh, Kamala Harris was on the late show with Stephen Stephen Colbert, and she said, talking about the, the protesting and the rioting and the movement on city streets, she said, this is a movement. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November and not after Election Day. Everyone should take note of that on both levels. They're not going to let up. They should not, and we should not. Senator Kamala Harris, Gary, your thoughts? Well, she's, she's pushing certain buttons, obviously. Yep. And she's telegraphing to people that, um, you know, it, it's okay to become violent if, uh, if they lose, if Trump wins. And I think that she's also trying to send a signal to people, hey, you better vote for us, because if you don't, and if Trump wins, we're going to turn the place upside down. Um, and again, to even vote for an individual like that to be potentially our next president, um, in my opinion, people have to have sick minds. Uh, uh, I just don't get it how so many people cannot see that. But neither. But let, let me let me walk us through this a little bit. Um, first of all, if if Biden and Harris apparently win, one thing that could happen is if if there was evidence of of fraud, and already there's a lot going on that has never happened before. Several states extending. Uh, they're voting, saying it's okay now to get ballots in up to several days beyond. That's unheard of. Uh, to to just stretch it out and uh, give the left more opportunity to manipulate things. If, if there's any doubt at all in the Trump administration's mind that there is manipulation, um, voter fraud, that type of thing, uh, that could drag things out too, because they may say, okay, this was an unjust election. We're not going to stand for it. 
And then if you've got some far right groups that say, you know what, if if Harris and Biden get in, we lose our freedoms. That's it. We're we're going to become a socialist nation. So if we need to rise up, it's either now or never. So that's one possibility. On the other hand, if Trump wins and if it's close, uh, you know, we've already talked about it. We can expect massive revolt, anarchy, lawlessness. Um, you better believe it. I mean, they're organizing for that right now. Mm-hmm. So one of my concerns in that case, in that type of scenario, is if things get so out of hand that President Trump feels that he needs to declare martial law, I mean, full-fledged martial law on a national scale, then all bets are off. And I'm hoping it doesn't come to that, and I hope that he doesn't feel it necessary to do that. And here's why. If he declares martial law, okay, he's he's made several good appointments to the Department of Homeland Security, mm-hmm. people who I believe are patriots, who would be loyal uh, to the administration, to our U.S. Constitution. However, the bulk of people who are in the emergency management sphere, many of them have been in place for over 30 years, some of them over 40 years, and they're part of the deep state. We've seen what has happened with the Justice Department, the State Department, um, some of these very people who we thought would have our backs and, and defend our constitutional freedoms have turned out to be on the other side. And they've been put in place over decades, and they, they run Washington now behind the scenes. And I'm concerned that President Trump might think he's in control of the Department of Homeland Security and all the emergency management agencies under that umbrella, when in fact he might not be, because um, I think there are still thousands of, of people in that network that would favor the Biden-Harris ticket and our far-left socialists. And the reason I can make that statement fairly boldly is because for seven years I belonged to an organization that was within the Emergency Management Network. That organization is now under the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I was in the, the organization that I'm talking about before uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security was established. But now, if I was still in it, it would all be under DHS. Anyway, during those seven years, I met a lot of people. There are about 2,000 of us in the organization. I didn't meet everybody, but I met a lot of people. And as far as I knew, there are only two other Christians, possibly a third, that I met in seven years' time. The people who briefed us, at one meeting I attended at Fort McNair, uh, the two people who briefed us, one was from the Rockefeller Foundation, the other was a prominent member of the Council on Foreign Relations, both of them hardcore globalists. Then for our luncheon, we were bussed over to the Naval Station, and we were addressed by a man named Leo Chern, uh, who was introduced as being a very powerful Washington insider, basically. It, it took them maybe five minutes to introduce him because they listed all the awards that he'd won from the United Nations. And so I'm listening to all this. Then he gets up there and he talks, and he makes outrageous statements among them was that we in the United States needed to move away from our Judeo-Christian ethic and embrace the religious philosophies of the East. So, I mean, you know, you don't make that kind of a statement unless you believe everybody sitting out there is not a Christian. And when he was done, by the way, he got a standing ovation. 
And wow. so this was the emergency management network that I became familiar with over seven years that I was in at the last three years having secret clearance. And I contend that not much has changed, that probably most of that network is still intact. And, you know, like I said, President Trump has put a few good leaders in there. But if you go just one or two steps below the top, um, you still have this other network, I believe, largely in place. So if he declares martial law, it could kick into effect uh, some far left players that could seize that moment and try to force us into a new world order that way. And so that's one reason why I believe the left is actually pushing for a crisis. It's almost as if they're daring Trump to declare martial law. Uh, And and, uh, I think we noticed some of that with COVID. Uh, They kept saying he needs to do more. He needs to take take charge of this and that. And it was almost like they were pushing him to, to declare martial law. And so whenever you see the far left doing that, we ought to ask ourselves why. You know, why are they doing that? It doesn't make sense. Why would they want Trump uh, to have more power, seemingly, um, unless they believe they're going to benefit from it somehow? And so that's my assessment on that. So we need to, as Christians, pray uh, that President Trump uh, does not go there, that he does not declare martial law, but deals with the situation in in other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as persecution goes, I just want to touch on on this. You know, we've seen the far left already um, come out strongly against Christians, against Jews. We've seen synagogues torched and targeted. Um, You know, Ben Shapiro, who's a conservative Jew, has been run off campuses. Um, Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and, And so a lot has been going on in the Jewish community, and and so in response to all of this, uh, you might be surprised at what some rabbis are telling their people. And so I just want to share with you a quote. Um, this is coming from uh, a Brooklyn rabbi by the name of Chaim Yaakov Frankel. And he uh, recently gave an address in Florida to some fellow Jews down there, and this is what he said. This is quite stunning. He said, leave while it's possible. Things will get worse, and it will be difficult to move from one country to another. Listen to me well, dear Jews. Whoever can afford to rise and ascend to the Holy Land should do it as soon as possible. The U.S. will become a dangerous place mired in war, and it is still too early to tell which U.S. states will survive. Hmm. But many parts will be destroyed and poisoned, and a civil war will break out within the U.S., and states will secede from the federal government. The U.S. The US will no longer be a place of refuge, but there will be a Jewish remnant here. The land of Israel will be the safest place to survive the war, even though there will be terrible difficulties there as well." End quote. And there are other rabbis as well, a couple of Brooklyn rabbis, one from Israel urging uh, Jews to make Aliyah to come back to Israel now while they can. And so the the conservative Jewish community, they see the handwriting on the wall. They've been through this before uh, in Nazi Germany. And and, um, as, as one rabbi in France recently told French Jews, he said, you know, those of us who were optimistic before World War II, uh, ended up in the concentration camps, and those who were pessimists ended up in New York. Hmm. In other words, you know, we need to heed the warning, and and so uh, 
I, I don't want to put fear in everybody's heart, but there is a lot at stake. And the devil is very active. He is working largely through the far left to set the stage for tur- turmoil and upheaval and lawlessness. And he's trying to divide the country and cause war. And if that happens, we will be at our weakest moment in at least 150 years. Mm-hmm. And so if we were ever going to be attacked by our foreign enemies, when do you think that they would do so? It's when we are focused within on a crisis within, and we have our guard down. And, and so I'm talking about anything from a cyber attack on our electrical grid or an electromagnetic pulse uh, that in theory could knock out our entire power grid. These are, are things that uh, our patriotic military security specialists are most concerned about right now. And again, thank God for President Trump, because he did something back in May that no president has done, even though um, ever since the Clinton administration, top military leaders have been urging our presidents to harden our electrical grid because we are so vulnerable. But finally, President Trump issued an executive order, I believe it was on May 1st, it was this last spring, urging our electrical grid uh, to be hardened, in other words, to protect it from outside attack. Now, the problem is, you know, this is just getting underway. It's probably that effort is just getting organized mm-hmm. right now. And so we are going, going to be most vulnerable probably for the next 18 to 24 months, in my opinion, because it's going to take three or four years to get all of this done. Uh, but at least it's in motion now. But if we have an election where it results in utter chaos we could almost expect you know, some type of outside attack on our grid. And in, our last, um, in my last lead article in our fall 2020 issue, and people can go online and read this, uh, it, my article was titled, A Nation at War, dot, 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 almost. <laughs> and um, in there, I, I have some quotes regarding our electrical uh, grid. And this is from author, researcher Kyle Mills. He describes our energy network. This is quite fascinating. Uh, He says, it's been called the most complex machine in the world, and that's probably a fair description. 3,300 utility companies, 55,000 individual substations, and 200,000 miles of transmission lines all coordinate to meet the country's insatiable demand for power. Unfortunately, it's this scope and complexity that makes us so vulnerable, end quote. Now, get this. Of the 55,000 substations we have in the United States, approximately 100 of them are absolutely critical, Hmm. and we have to keep them up uh, to keep the system healthy. But out of those 100, only nine of them need to go down in order to shut down the entire grid. Wow. That, that's really, that's almost insane to think about it, that, uh, that our leaders over the years have permitted our electrical grid to become this vulnerable. So if China, Iran, Russia, North Korea, all of whom are, are capable of an EMP or cyber attack, all they have to do is target nine of our top 100 uh, substations and they can shut down the entire grid. And it would probably be down for 12 to 18 months. 
And and so again, I'm torn because I don't want to cause alarm, but this is a very real security risk right now. And yes. this is being discussed in the highest places within our military. Uh, Mark Levin on Fox interviewed uh, the top expert in the country on all of this about a year and a half back. And at that time, he shared that um, he had approached the Obama administration. It fell on deaf ears. They were, had no interest in hardening our grid, uh, but that he had been in discussions with the Trump administration, and there was some movement. And so, again, thank God that uh, you know President Trump is on this, and he's doing what he can now. So if Biden and Harris were to get elected, probably all this would be undone. I don't mm-hmm. think they'd move forward with hardening the grid because it's not in their interest. Right. So... Uh, anyway, explain that we've got two minutes before we have to take a break. Ex- explain that because a lot of people go, well, what do, what do you mean it's not in their interest? Well, if you are coming at it from a far leftist worldview and you want to take the United States in that direction and bring us into a world government that ultimately will be far left socialist, communist mm-hmm. uh, type of new world order, then you want to keep us as vulnerable as possible in case that effort is needed to shut down the grid in order to force us into a new world order. On the other hand, if you're one like Trump, who's all about keeping the United States a free country, um, you want to do everything you can to keep our foreign enemies from being able to shut us down. And and so th- this is what it all comes down to. If, if, if you have an agenda, and that agenda is world government, and somehow getting the United States into that world government, you want to keep all your options open uh, so that you uh, can do whatever is necessary to force the U.S. into that mold. Mm. Uh, but if you want to keep us a free nation, again, you're going to want to protect us and, and uh, uh, you know, make it impossible, if, if, if that's doable, make it impossible for our foreign enemies to shut us out. I see. Thank you for clarifying that. We've got so much more to talk about with Gary Cobb. Big election tomorrow, friends. I hope you are praying. Uh, We have been. Let's continue to lift this up. It's in God's hands, so cast your cares over on him. Um, Eric Rush wrote about the left escalating and and extending a scope of violence and uh, talked about a, quote, civil war. What's the White House doing? What are the feds doing in preparing? preparation of all this. We've got so much more with Gary Cobb when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Gary Cobb with Hope For The World. I've got links to his video, his presentation on A Nation At War, The Globalist Conditioning of America, and also, um, we've got his blog posted at StandUpForTheTruth.com. For those of you that subscribe to our podcast that only have the audio, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have to go to StandUpForTheTruth.com and today's episode with Gary Koss. So there's a headline that says, Federal authorities expected to erect non-scalable fence around White House. Hmm, why would they do this? What are they hearing? I want to quote Eric Rush and then get Gary's thoughts on this. He said is it is entirely possible that if President Trump secures re-election, the left will escalate and extend the scope of the violence, touching off a full-blown costly civil war. I believe it's equally possible that if Joe Biden wins the election, uh, law-abiding Americans will determine that enough is enough, rise up and take decisive action against 
leftist dissidents with the same unfortunate result. Should this occur, it will be a civil war such as we such as we've seen in many other nations over the years, rather than what transpired during our American Civil War. Potential enemies will be present in our cities and towns, in our neighborhoods, and occasionally in our own homes, because lines between enemy combatants will be blurred, as will those between police, the military, and the militias that will inevitably rise up, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa thugs will continue to ply their trade until they are beaten back or prevail. Gary Ka, your thoughts on these provocative um, comments from Eric Rush. During my lifetime, <clears throat> I have never witnessed a country that has become this divided where it hasn't ended up in some type of civil conflict. Mm. And and so we'd have to break all the norms for that not to be the case. And, and that's why I said I believe only God at this point uh, can rescue the United States really from the, the dire straits we're in. It's going to take divine intervention um, because we're looking at two completely opposing worldviews. Uh, one, a far-left socialist, very strong anti-Christian agenda – the other one, pro-free enterprise, pro-freedom of speech and, and uh, freedom of worship, uh, upholding our Constitution. Um, and, and these two worldviews cannot coexist. Hmm. It, it's just not possible. Yep. So unless the Lord softens the hearts of many of the leftists, uh, which right now they're so entrenched in their beliefs and, 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 and they're so full of hatred uh, toward Christians and conservative Jews that that they can hardly see straight. And a lot of this conditioning has taken place over many years, largely through our universities. And so you've got about 70% of our young people now under the age of 35 that uh, really are socialists, right. and they've been indoctrinated, and they're convinced they, they know what's best, and they want to take America into a socialist uh, uh, world government. And, and they're totally fine with that. That's where they're coming from. And so it's really sad to think that it may come down to an actual fight. Um, and so we all need to be praying and thinking about that, of, mm -hmm. of how, you know, how we would respond in such a, a situation. Um, I have here in front of me a, a letter, uh, and I quoted from this um, out on my tour recently. And you may have heard of this, uh, David. Um, this letter is called My Letter to America, written by Noor bin Laden. Hmm. This is the niece of yes. Osama bin Laden. And I want people to, well, people can actually go to our website, and we've put up a link uh, to uh, NoorBinLaden.com. And Laden, spelled I-N, Laden, not E-N. NoorBinLaden.com forward slash letter. I just want to share the closing statements from this lady. She, again, she's the niece of Osama bin Laden. She was born of a Swiss mother and a Saudi father. I believe she's probably a Christian just from a couple of the statements that are in her letter. This is about a five-page letter. Okay. It is so powerful, it, it moved me to tears when wow. I read it. Uh, and it's urging the American people to wake up and take a stand now while they can. This was drafted September 6th, and here are her closing statements. Mm. She says, America, 
you are at the very edge of the precipice. Please wake up, take hold, fight for your country, and be proud of your roots. Uphold your values. Stand for your flag and your anthem. Defend your history. Don't relent in the face of those who seek to rewrite it to serve their narrative and justify the destruction of your nation. You have much to cherish and protect for your sake and ours. We need you to stay the course, America. Be assured, we are with you in this decisive hour in your history. All of us freedom-seeking and loving people across the globe pray for you to succeed. We are rooting for you and watching closely, America. For with your fate will the destiny of unborn millions be involved. Signed, your fellow patriot, Noor bin Laden. Wow. So here's a person, obviously from the bin Laden family, who has been through much and witnessed much in her lifetime. And she's overseas, and she understands, she gets what's going on in this country. Yet such a huge number of Americans do not get it. And I think that's what touched me the most, that how is it possible for someone like Noor bin Laden to see where we're at as a nation and the importance of this moment and this hour, but yet so many Americans don't get it. They've been bought off by the socialist deception, you know. And and um, so I just, boy, I, I want to tell everybody listening, if you have not yet voted, you get out there tomorrow, especially those of you from Wisconsin. I believe Wisconsin and Minnesota are going to be the two biggest states this time that are going to help sway the election one way or the other. Hmm. And in, in both states, the polls uh, have shown the Biden-Harris ticket ahead substantially, uh, but with Trump gaining. And, and so a lot is at stake. And I think some of these uh, states are going to be decided by maybe just a few hundred votes. So it could be the difference literally between this listening audience right now hmm. getting out there and voting or not voting. Uh, I remember one of my good friends here in Indiana uh, ran for Senate, U.S. Senator, and he lost in the closest election in Indiana history. Wow. He lost by less than one vote <laughs> per precinct, per precinct. So in other words, if in every precinct there had been just one more Christian who voted for him, he would have become our senator and would have been one of the best ever solid Christian uh, individual and good friend. But he lost. And so many Christians afterwards were kicking themselves. Yep. Thinking, oh, man, you know, why didn't I get out there and vote? This time, there's no excuse. I don't care if you have to swim across an icy river. I don't care what you have to do. You get out and vote. If you have to stand in line for five hours, you get out and vote. This is so critical. Amen. Most important election of our lifetime. Yeah, I've seen, uh, There's. A, I think it was an article that someone wrote that I didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but I'd but I'd crawl over broken glass to vote for him this year. Um, I paraphrased that title. But, uh, Gary, what we didn't talk about is what the media also doesn't talk about, and the fact that Trump has been working in, on Middle East peace efforts and has been nominated for a couple Nobel Peace Prizes. Of course, there are s some listeners right now that are going, what? You're kidding me, because they haven't heard about this. The average American has no idea of what Trump has done on, in that front. We've only got five minutes left, but would you care to touch on that and the importance of Israel? Yeah, I mean, he, he has been very pro-Israel, um, and a lot of it has been in the face of, of those who 
oppose him both in Europe and at the United Nations and, and here on the home front. Um, and again, the, the globalists, they want turmoil. They want crisis points that they can use to try to further their agenda. Um, if, if, if there are problems going on on every front internationally, economically, politically, uh, countries at each other's throats, that all feeds into their narrative that we need to have a world government to usher in peace and unity, and that's the only way out of our situation. And and so, uh, you know, Trump has been driving them nuts because he uh, has kept the economy strong. Uh, they've tried to tank it a couple of times. It hasn't worked so far. <laughs> uh, they've tried to keep uh, the Middle East, um, you know, in in a dicey situation. Of course, Iran is still a wild card. There's no telling what they'll do. Uh, but Trump honored his um, his commitment. He did not take us into another war. Incredible. Uh, for the first time among many presidents, uh, we are not currently at war anywhere, and so I hope it stays that way. So, he, he in other words, he has dashed the globalist narrative <laughs> uh, for why we need a world government. And, and, and so... Um, Trump, again, is far from perfect, but we need to pray for him and Vice President Pence. I think they've done a lot of things right, and they've upheld our freedoms at the very least in this country, and for that I am grateful. And so I will be praying for a victory for them and that God gives them unprecedented discernment moving Mm -hmm. forward because they are going to need it in the months ahead. Gary, um, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to put you on the spot in the last two and a half minutes here and ask you to speculate. What what's it? What does your gut tell you? Or what do you think, if you could even predict this wild election outcome, what, what do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to come down to a few states, and I believe because of some of the manipulation and uh, the fact that voters can turn in their ballots late, mm. that we will probably not know the results tomorrow night. This thing could drag on for a while. And the longer it drags on, uh, the stronger the emotions are going to run and the more opportunity for lawlessness. I hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah, me too. Uh, but keep your eyes on uh, Pennsylvania, um, North Carolina, uh, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Uh, and Michigan, all critical. Uh, but I believe especially Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. If, if Trump carries those two states uh, by the end of uh, tomorrow night, if it, it, that could uh, all but seal the deal. Um, why we'll, min- we'll have to wait and see. Why Minnesota? Because a Republican hasn't carried that, I think, since the 70s or the 80s? Well, because of all the lawlessness that's happened in Minneapolis, oh. and and you've had now for decades uh, the people in Minneapolis-St. Paul voting in leftist Democrats, and they see now where it's gotten them. You know, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's a mess. Hmm. And people, especially in the outlying areas of Minnesota, say, we don't want that spreading here. It's ridiculous. And so a lot of um, uh, the smaller towns in Minnesota have swung very far toward Republican. The question is, will the voter turnout in the, the countryside in Minnesota be enough to overcome the predominantly liberal big city vote? Yep. 
And that's been a big frustration for Minnesota for a long time, just like in Illinois. Well, Wisconsin, too. kind of carries the day. Yeah, Wisconsin, so too. We battle against Milwaukee, Madison, and Appleton. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, it, we'll it, see. Yeah, that's why every last vote counts, you know, and, and uh, we need the, the uh, people from the small towns especially to turn out and, and vote and, and make sure your vote is, is counted. So, Gary, is Indiana going to come through for us? I believe so. Uh, we've got our own problems here. Yeah. <laughs> Indianapolis, our yeah. crime rate has gone through the roof. In fact, mm. I calculated on a per capita basis, our murder rate is almost double that of Chicago. Wow. Yeah, we're going to end up with 220 homicides this year. Wow. And Chicago will have about three times that many, but they have seven times the population of, of Indianapolis. And so um, the drug gangs, and um, they've just taken over uh, the areas just outside of the downtown area. And uh, we have a Democratic mayor right now. I, I believe he's genuinely trying to do his best, but it's just spun out of control. Mm. So we haven't made the news as much as uh, Minneapolis and Portland and some of the other places, but the potential for, for lawlessness in Indianapolis is, you know, it's right up there as wow. well. That's, a, that's just news to me. That's amazing. Gary, thank you so much. Um, God's sovereign. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I pray Amen. the church repents and turns back. And I hope we can have another four years to really, really get things going spiritually and morally, not to have a reprieve. Uh, Gary Ka, Hope for the World. Thank you so much, brother. God bless you, and we'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow, right? Thank you. God bless you, David. All right, thanks, Gary. When we come back, we'll let you know our guests the rest of this week on Stand Up for the Truth. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. Always a blessing to have knowledgeable men and expert guests. I am just so, I learn so much, you guys. You, you know, I ask the questions and I just listen. I'm going, wow, you should hear my, or you should see my facial expressions. If That's why we don't have a web, webcam. I'm kind of going, ah, oh, my jaw drops, some, some of the things that are said. Um, tomorrow, we have Dr. Andy Woods. <laughs> we are going to do some election day speculating, E-day speculating, but he also is going to share what's at stake. Of course, it'll be too late for uh, to get the information out to anybody who's still going to vote, but tomorrow we will be talking with Andy Woods, one of my probably top 10 uh, favorite Bible teachers in the country. Um, let's see. We're going to look ahead toward the end of the week. We've got John Haller and Scott Lively post-election. They're going to come and talk about what could happen from that point on should we know the election results. And, um, well, that's it. Let's just pray, guys. Keep uh, trusting God, and it's in His hands, and we believe that He's got this all under control. We are here for such a time as this. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>